worked out that they could have got him off and he would have had to have paid the tax that they were questioning him on. Or he'd go to this prison that basically was an open prison. He said, well, if I go to the open prison, do I have to pay the tax on? And they said, no. He said, well, I'll go to the open prison because I need time on my own to write this book. So we thought it was a writer's retreat. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Berry has been hailed as the father of rock and roll, the Pied Piper who ushered millions of teenagers into a new generation. But when Chuck left the stage, he was an entirely different person altogether. This time on Text Pros and Rock and Roll, I speak with John Brewer, whose new documentary uncovers for the first time ever the mysteries of Chuck Berry and who this unique talent really was. My name is Chris Kosach. I created this podcast to highlight the written and documented account of music, from band bios to artist memoirs and the occasional rock doc, too. We're the only show of its kind. This is Text Prose and Rock and Roll. Track 12, the father of rock and roll, Chuck Berry. In some ways, director John Brewer is the perfect person to document the life of Chuck Berry. He's no stranger to the music business, having spent decades working with David Bowie, Yes, and many more before turning his talents to music documentaries, the latest of which takes on the father of rock and roll, Chuck Berry, in a way no one else ever has before. Here, I'll let him set this up. It is the first authorized Chuck Berry documentary. I decided to do this whilst he was alive. And I was sort of turned away from doing it because all my people, I was in New Orleans at the time. And I said, look, I'd like to just pop down and see if I can get to get to Chuck Berry and see if he would do a documentary. Because these, these documentaries take a good year to put together. And I'm not really interested in not ma in making unauthorized documentaries because you come across a lot of problems so i was sort of uh flown back to london and i never made it to chuck but when he died i was straight down there and i got an agreement from the estate which was controlled by thameta his wife and that was really how i came about to make the documentary first of all if Chuck was alive, I probably wouldn't have ever finished it because he was a very difficult man. And he considered um, lots of factors. And if he struck a deal with you, he would stick to the deal. But all of a sudden, other things would come in. And if you were rehearsing, he'd charge you for it. And if you were basically walking on set, you know, and um, he started playing, he'd charge you for it. And so this went on. That's why Hell, Hell, Rock and Roll cost so much money because his contribution uh, or the, their contribution to have him was started at 80,000 and ended up at 800,000. You know, he wasn't an easy person to get and he wanted cash before he got up literally as in the concerts, of course, before he went on. So it wasn't a straightforward shoot, hell, hell, rock and roll. And 
it was beautifully filmed concert, but it wasn't really a documentary. So this was really the first documentary that was about his career and what he gave to rock and roll and what rock and roll gave to him to a certain extent. Thometa, his wife, had never been allowed to do an interview. I mean, in Hell, Hell, Rock and Roll, he um, snatched the microphone away and refused to let her speak. So having the first interview she ever did, or has done, she hasn't done one since either, was a bit of a coup too. about four or five big scrapbooks that were sort of like probably three foot wide of all the bits and pieces and memorabilia that he had himself kept. It was his life, really. You know, this is why I love to do this show because it's so interesting. It's so important on a cultural level to know who these people really were and how their story comes together in the telling of a documentary, which is ironic because a documentary is behind the story of the person. You never mentioned that, that the Meta never had an interview before, and I did not know that either. So thank you for sharing that. Well, it was very unfortunate because the fact is that, you see, the interviewer was badly either instructed or basically was badly informed. Because he immediately went in to ask her about possible affairs that Chuck Berry had with other women, which is rather a silly way to start. So immediately, and you know, he did, she didn't know about some of these affairs that were mentioned in his his autobiography. And, and she mentions that in the film because she said, I just wish that Chuck had basically shown me first or had talked to me about it because I had to read it like anybody else read it. Give me more headaches than Mick Jagger. Hell, Hell, Rock and Roll, although it was very good and, and did very well, uh, it wasn't really a documentary. Chuck was a very clever, astute man, and he immediately closed down the whole film. And then, of course, they had to renegotiate to get it back up again. So what happened was uh, the film was really was uh, controlled by Chuck. There are a lot of household names in your documentary. Paul McCartney, Alice Cooper. Was it hard to find people to speak about Chuck? It, it, it wasn't hard. In fact, it was very easy, but I don't particularly like too much of what we call talking heads. Mm -hmm. And I prefer to make what I call feature documentaries with, with, with the objective to be able to show it in theaters. So if you watch my film, what it, it happens is that there are what we call cutaways that set you up. Also basically act as chapter headings to a certain extent. Now, were saying about 10 years ago, they said, well, there's not enough music in it. And it's very difficult to put three to four minutes worth of concert footage and then get back to telling the story or 
creating a documentary. It's exceedingly difficult. Not to mention very, very expensive as well. Yeah, but forgetting about the expensive, it doesn't work because basically you sit there looking at footage of a concert. But if you're not talking about the concert, it looks like you're chopping away all the time and there's no flow and there's no passion, which I think is exceedingly important. So you felt it didn't matter how much you knew of them, it moved you and kept you watching the, the, the film. I try to make it as informative as I can, but talking heads sometimes can be uh, very difficult because they're not 25 years of age. The person doesn't even recognize them, although they go, my gosh, is that really him? So it's a difficult thing to get the effects that you need. It's very difficult. <laughs> do what comes naturally to me. And having been in the industry for a long time, especially the music industry, as I got older, my instincts took over. When I was strong enough to do what I think was right, I was with uh, musicians since I was 19 years old, working as a manager, as consultant, as um, publisher uh, in the music industry, dealing with problem after problem after problem. And I know how to speak to artists and make them feel comfortable. And somehow I managed to extract what we want to hear come out from them. At the end of the day, I, I found it a natural position to be. Chuck Berry broke down a lot of barriers, none greater than the race barrier. Can you talk about that? you know, Chuck Berry created the teenager. And I have to tell you that parameters were not, were being created at that time. They weren't in existence. There were white radio stations and what we call black radio stations. Now, Chuck sounded white. So he actually crossed over and he was offering, often rather, um, uh, turning up to do interviews and they go, well, no, we're in for Chuck Berry. He said, I am Chuck Berry. He said, but you're black. And, but he got away with it. And he certainly, Chuck was one of the musicians, he wasn't the only, that really broke that barrier down. I had to understand about racism. Being an English boy that didn't really have in London, the sort of thing they were having down in, in, in the South, um, learning that at, 65 years of age was quite an eye-opener and you had to basically understand all of that and unfortunately there's tremendous racism still there um, his daughter ingrid told me i said why did he consistently go from one side of the stage to the other she said it was all to do with the rope down the middle of a club was a rope and they'd have two policemen standing there, all the black kids, weren't allowed to cross the road and mingle. And because he kept going up and down the front of the stage from left to right, right to left, his music was very danceable. And so they were mingling with each other. And before you knew what had happened was the rope disappeared and the police couldn't control it. So it brought kids together. He opened a club in St. Louis, which was for black people and white people and that's when the, 
the fun began. Chuck Berry pushed the boat just a little too far out. Chuck Berry was Chuck Berry. The definition of Chuck Berry is Chuck Berry. If you were to try to try and give rock and roll another name, you might call it Chuck Berry. Can we talk a little bit about his lyrics? He was considered a poet by many, including Paul McCartney, says in your in your documentary, Chuck Berry. And also he made up some fun words. So I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about uh, Chuck's vernacular. Well, Chuck was definitely a poet. Absolutely. No, no questions asked and or even questioned. Um, and he was a brilliant, um, as Alice Cooper puts it in, in the film. He could tell you a full story in three minutes lyrically. If he couldn't think of a word, he would just make one up. Coolerator. Botheration. Motivating. As, as Alice Cooper says, I'm pretty sure they weren't in the Scrabble dictionary. And, um, but kids loved him with that. And there was Chuck making up these words and they were, the music was so demanding and driving. We shot in the desert in California, a lot of these cutaways. You know, we were out there in the middle of the night. It was very dark. It was so cold. We used some of Chuck's songs and pumped out in the middle of the desert and no one can stand still. You can't not move to it. Robbie Robertson from the band talked about that in the film, but so did Ingrid. I mean, Ingrid knew a lot behind the stage, backstage, that you'll, you would never find out. I would never find out. And she'd just go say, that was poetry. The way he acted, the way he basically spoke, you see a bit of it in the Hell Hell Rock and Roll footage that we used. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, no, he, there's no question about it. He loved writing poetry. Loved it. Do you think we'll see a posthumous book of some of his, uh, his lyrics and uh, poetry, maybe perhaps unpublished? Does, that, does such a thing exist? Yes, that's what the scrapbook was all about. Fantastic. He'd put together his poetry. I'm pretty sure I didn't get to see everything, but he'd lost a lot of it in the fire at the studios, which was at Berry Park. You know, he, he must have lived a very exciting life. And he was very strong as a character, but he also lived a bit of a sheltered life. He always wanted to have a Disney World or Disneyland, and he had built a swimming pool in the shape of a guitar, and you could go and stay there, and they had breakfasts around the pool served, and then he had concerts put on. He never promoted them, and they all had problems. Two, two girls died in the pool, drowning young kids. There was a shooting. Um, there was a concert put on for Leon Russell and the promoter hadn't paid him, so they started a riot. There were obviously a lot of drugs in those days, not necessarily hard drugs, but cannabis smoking. And basically he'd look out the window and he said, isn't it great? Everybody's jumping around, having a great time. But what he didn't realize is they were stoned out of their minds. Most of those festival type gigs that took place in Berry Park, I'm sure all of them that took place were totally disorganized. And um, and that breeds a lot of problems. So the police are down your neck. Oh, it's that guy, Chuck Berry again. And 
down come the police. When that happens, more problems are created. I'll tell you a little story that's not in the film because you can't repeat stories like that. His lawyer that speaks about it was his close friend. He said, Chuck, you're so sheltered. Come and have dinner. And he said, what do you mean come to a dinner party? And she said, there'll be a dinner party, a couple of my friends. And he said, oh, well, let me think about it. Anyway, he phoned up and said, he's coming. He turns up, not with his wife, but with his one of his girlfriends. He's carrying a little box, like a sandwich box. And in there is food for two. And he thought when you went to a dinner party, you brought your own food. He said, uh, look, I brought this and it's enough for me and uh, the girlfriend. And he said, so Meta made it for both of us. The whole thought of there was he going out with his mistress or girlfriend and going to a dinner party, which he didn't normally frequent. He thought you brought food. And that story sums him up. He was the first inductee in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mr. Berry. Daniel Mike. We went to record at the legendary Chess Studios. When we were in the studio, we met Money Waters, Chuck Berry. Started that whole hip-hop tradition. <laughs> Back then, he was the gang, the first gangster. <laughs> this guy, don't forget, had went to prison several times. In fact, more than several times. He basically kept putting one finger up to the authorities, and they, as soon as he went slightly off the scale, they went for him, and that's what caused all the aggravation. It was very difficult because I didn't want in the film just to talk about him as a bad boy, as a convict. Basically, as a kid, he went back to a reform school. And he, yes, he did threaten a guy with a mock gun because they'd run out of gas. So he, he served his time at the reform school because the next time was the Man Act. And the Man Act was designed taking underage, which they think are children, across the state line for prostitution reasons. Now, he had a friend who introduced him to this girl who was a prostitute. Whether he knew that or not, I don't know. But she was very young and he didn't really know. She told him he was, she was 18. She looked 25. What happened was, whether he was set up, whether he wasn't set up, they arrested him. But because he was black, he went to jail. Charlie Chaplin was white, and he was done under the Man Act, and he never went to jail. Now, it wasn't lack of money, because Chuck had a ton of money. Mm -hmm. The final time was um, when the tax evasion took place. He worked out that they could have got him off, and he would have had to have paid the tax that they were questioning him on. Or he'd go to this prison that basically was an open prison. He said, well, if I go to the open prison, do I have to pay the tax off? And they said, no. He said, well, I'll go to the open prison because I need time on my own to write this book. Very few people know that. So that's how he thought. Let's talk a little bit about the vignettes in your documentary. You have a very distinct look to them. I directed the little features that you're talking about, cutaways, I call them, to take me out to do two things. One, to lead the story on, to create a sort of chapter when I'm looking at a timeline. And the other reason was simply that an artist like Chuck Berry doesn't have 10 great songs that were all big hits. 
Yes, 20. That's what I did. I, I basically related the cutaway. <laughs> you know, Chuck Berry was a character that Charles Edward Anderson Berry played. When he came home, he was the man I married. My big takeaway from your film was his family, which yeah. very obviously they contributed an awful lot. It starts with the meta, it ends with his daughter, Ingrid. And throughout, you've, you've parsed in these wonderful little uh, bits from his son, from his grandsons. Did you get the impression that they knew Chuck, the musician? Because you also point out that he really shut the door and became Charles Berry at the end of the day. So how well did his own family know him? Well, Chuck Berry was his stage name. Chuck Berry was his performing name. At the beginning, of course, he changed his name because his father was very heavily involved with the church. He was worried that his father would lose the position in the church. And his father went to the elders and said, look, this is what my son is doing. And he doesn't want me to be affected. And it, it's touched me. And, but, and the church said, please, we, we welcome him to do that and welcome him to do what he's chosen to do. Because he... You know, when anybody ever asked him and said, what do you do? He'd say, I'm a carpenter. He wouldn't say, I'm a rock and roller. Now, it got to a certain level that you can't get away with that. <laughs> and Chuck would eventually say, okay, I'm Chuck Berry when he was on the road. And Thometa says this at the beginning of the film. Look, my husband was called Charles Berry. And when he left my house to go on the road, he became Chuck Berry. And it's a fantasy fantasy character when he came back and walked into the front in the door after being on the road he was charles berry he was a very big family man he was very much a father and to this very day the, the grandchildren all adored him he he acted as the head of the family and hardly probably talked about rock and roll. But when Ingrid, who was on the road with him for 40 years, she was basically, she saw what went on on the road. And it was very difficult for her because her mother would call and say, where's Pa? And he said, oh, I think he's down asleep. No, no, jolly well wasn't asleep. And she had to go down and bang on the door and say, listen, can you pick your phone up? Because Ma wants to know where you are. And so she got, as she got older, she got a lot of that problem. And uh, I don't know, they keep that quite quiet. But I don't know whether, I, I think it must have affected them. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, she thought the world of him to the day, they, the second he died. I mean, it, it, it was, there's no question about that. You know, there was push and pull. But at the end, he, he the last 10 years of his life, he was performing once a month in a club. Um, and basically, he all he wanted was his kids playing with it. There's no question about it. So he was very much a family man. done very well theatrically at the worst times. Actually, the COVID thing worked for us to a certain extent because drive-ins became uh, more attended to mm -hmm. because, um, and we did quite a lot of drive-ins and art theatres and um, it sort of worked for us. 
And of course, the big films didn't overshadow because they weren't being played because they knew it would be a limited uh, box office day. So we got in. And that's now going to come out on DVD just before Christmas. And then, of course, we hit the platforms and the streaming. I think it's apropos that you would be able to do a drive-in when we're talking about music from the 50s. That's wonderful. It, it's really neat. John Brewer, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. The documentary is Chuck Berry. It's available now on Amazon, Apple, and other platforms, as well as on DVD. Now, here come this week's liner notes. Text Pros and Rock and Roll was created, written, and produced by yours truly in association with GoTo Productions, Charlene Goto Producer. Music this week comes to us from Audio Nautics, Kevin McLeod, Track Tribe, and of course, the father of rock and roll himself, the legendary Chuck Berry. Special thanks for today's show goes out to Cardinal Releasing Limited, CeCe Cronin at Sicily Publicity, Emperor Media, and The Berry Estate. Please continue to get the word out about our show. If you haven't yet done so, follow us on Instagram and be sure to share with all your audiophile friends. You can reach us directly on Instagram or online at textprosrockandroll.com. And unlike most music outlets these days, we do take requests. For Text Pros and Rock and Roll, I'm Chris Kosach. Rock on.